You're listening to The Real Investment Show. It's um, interesting. We get into the fourth quarter here, and we're going to try to figure out where markets are going to go. But most important for retirees, they're just trying to figure out where their income is going to go. And um, there have been a lot of studies about spending hesitancy in retirement, and I think it makes actual sense. I call it portfolio withdrawal anxiety. And, you know, you've been an accumulator. I don't know if you ever watched the show with Tom, uh, Tim Allen. Uh, what's What was it called? He was Tool, tool Time. Tool Time, tool yes. Tool Time. Um, I don't even know if that was the name of the show, but that was the name of his show, Tool Time. I don't know if that was the name of the actual show, but he used to have the neighbor. It was, was a show about a show. Yeah, it was a show about a yeah. show, but it was a neighbor mm-hmm. that would always look over the fence. Yes. Right? Uh, what, what the heck was his name? But the key was, you know, there is a fence between you being an accumulator where you've been saving money for retirement. And then you have to cross the fence psychologically to go to the withdrawal strategy, right? So now um, the other side of this fence, I'm on the other side and I'm looking over at the accumulator now, might be my children, might be friends I know, you know, I'm on this other side and psychologically, when I have to now pull money from my account, and especially if it's mostly variable investments like stocks and bonds, I, I do have a huge psychological barrier. And there is that uh, anxiety that goes on. So I call it the uncertainty meets uncertainty equation if you have, for the most part, stocks and bonds. Because we're told by media, we're told by brokers you always can withdraw this 4% from your variable portfolio. I can withdraw a fixed percentage from a variable portfolio. You know, it's somebody like somebody telling you, hey, you know, water and oil do mix on occasion. Now, remember, Danny, remember last year, the academics were going, wait a minute, no, 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 with the pandemic, 4% is really 2.4%. What a surprise. So if, if, Right, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. You, my broker tells me I can take four percent every year out of my account, but now some of the academics that we respect in the financial, uh, in financial uh, academia say no, 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 two point four percent. Right, you cannot withdraw an indefinite same fixed percentage from your portfolio throughout retirement. Okay, I cannot tell you with confidence, neither can Danny, that a variable portfolio can provide the same fixed withdrawal rate over your lifetime. Now, we write about this a lot. Lance has written about the 4% withdrawal rule. This isn't. This came out in the 90s when we had this roaring bull market. And you got to give yourself a break because now you got to look at the future and what common stock returns it might give you. And we've been, what in our software, Danny, we have revised down what future returns were going to be, especially with the markets at 40 times earnings because eventually – I know we sound, we'll be in that rocking chair in the old folks' home. That'll be Lance going, valuations matter. That, what is he talking about? Valuations matter. They eventually do, don't they? They do, and I think that's a really important point, Rich. I mean, when we look at all the things that are occurring and, and looking at, you know, you're, you're dealing with a market and something that is variable. It's not fixed. You know, people come to you and I, especially at these events that we do, and they say, well, hey, you know what? I've, I've been with this guy for so long. And by rule of 72, 
I think my fund should have doubled. And you say, well, hold on now. Rule 72 talks about a fixed rate of return. We don't fixed have that rate. in markets. Right. Correct. And so you may have these returns where if everything were fixed, all things would remain equal and that would be correct. But unfortunately, we're, we're, we're dealing with something that's variable and at times have changed. You know, it, it always strikes me as almost impressive on how far back we can think to good things. Everybody remembers back in the day when rates were at five and six percent. But we haven't been there in 15 years. It's been a long, mm -hmm. long time. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I think that, you know, taking these things and, and really starting to understand and planning for it within your own financial plan is going to give you a leg up because there will be years you're going to be doing great. And that 4% will, will look like no big deal. Mm -hmm. It's a walk in the park. But then there's going to be others where you're dipping back into that portfolio a tad bit. And your financial plan needs to account for that. And you need to be able to understand that all these things will be variable. So to rely on this 4% rule that was created years and years ago that when interest rates were much, much higher, we can't rely on that out of fixed income any longer. You know, we're having to trade fixed income for capital gains, not for not not for the dividend or the excuse me the interest income that it pays right times have changed significantly and they have and it makes sense psychologically even though investors and retirees are told that they could do four percent it makes sense that they're hesitant to spend because they know their portfolios are variable they get that fixed and variable don't mix yet we tell them mix them You'll be fine, right? So when you look at the 20, there's a 2020 EBRI retirement confidence survey that found that one in 20 retirees don't have a strategy to spend down their assets and two out of three are looking to preserve assets for future generations. And its survey found, interestingly enough, that participants were living exclusively off the income their portfolios produce. That has to be an extremely austere experience in this low interest rate environment, just like you said, Danny. Years ago, when I first started, Lance first started, you could put a portfolio together, live off the interest, and it was okay. You can't do that anymore. The whole portfolio has to be looked at a por as a way, as a big tree, and I'm going to pick parts of it off. Sometimes I'm going to have this fruit, sometimes this fruit where I'm going to have if dividends and income, but sometimes I have to take principal and or capital gains, right? Because how can I, how can I make it? How can I make it? Especially if I have to have longevity risk, people living longer today. So I understand you understand, Danny, I think how investors feel, hey, I can't tap deeper into the nest egg in a turbulent, especially macroeconomic environment where the only thing that's working, when you look at the economy today, for the most part, and inflation, what the pressure of wages, what's working? What exactly is working today? Stimulus. Right? You know, the president comes out and says, oh, we've created more jobs than we have in 40 years. Well, if I'm in the toilet and I'm going to climb out to the toilet seat, that's going to happen to anybody's president administration, right? Where do we go from here is the question. And what the bond market's telling you is not far. So if I see this distress overall in the economy, 
And I'm again looking at what consumer sentiment might be. What? Why wouldn't I perhaps curtail my spending, especially when I'm on the other side of the fence? Who? What's that darn guy's name? It's right on the tip of my tongue. Wilson. Wilson on home improvement. Wilson on home improvement. Right. So I'm Wilson now, and I'm hesitant to spend. So people will say, "How much can I spend in retirement?" Well. There's no hard, fast rule. That is why you have to do the comprehensive financial planning, fall asleep in the bar with Lance's friends to create this spending confidence and awareness. In other words, I'll have this leap of faith if I've got some numbers and planning behind it. Because the plan is not just looking at today. It's trying to project out based on where I'm spending so that I can feel a little bit better. In other words... I'm taking some of the mist in the water in, you know, on the ocean. I'm on this ocean of retirement and it's cloudy and I'm trying to take some of that away. I'm trying to navigate for you through that. I'm using a map that makes me feel, okay, I feel a little better even though I'm going through all this fog. And that's what a plan does. So you have to turn the unknowables into knowables as best you get if you're only using stocks and bonds for the most part to create your retirement income, right? You got to get a good assessment of what your health is like. You got to be real. Don't you think, Danny, when you create this spending income plan, you got to get a really good assessment of you? I mean, not only what, what's ha- what happiness is to you and what you feel is important to you, not what your friends might be doing. Like, hey, we're going to the French Riera, Riviera every Wednesday, that may not be you. You may not have the money to do that. So you're going to have to really look inside for many things to create that spending plan. But you also have to take a really honest assessment of your health and longevity. You know, pe- people, we oftentimes ask about qualitative things instead of just the quantitative, you know, mm-hmm. gearing up towards retirement. We, we know the numbers and we want to know that. But, you know, people say, well, why do you need to know this? Well, because that's going to they're all going to tie together. Those qualitative things, what do you enjoy? What are your hobbies going to be? What are you going to do for yourself? What are you going to do with your wife, your spouse? You know, those all come together and those actually will marry into that full financial spending plan and then how we're going to distribute those assets in a tax efficient manner. I think that's that's a big part to add that additional value. It is. And you got to look at your fixed expenses and what I am finding now fairly recently is more retirees are looking on cutting fixed expenses, the tough stuff. I want to talk about that with an example when we get back here on Financial Fitness Friday of the Real Investment Show. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Before we hit up, hey, how do you increase spending in retirement? Because that is your second childhood. Um, you know, you want to go up, you go to Real Investment Advice, you can sign up for um, a, da- a daily commentary. Lance's daily commentary cuts to you early in the morning, gives you an idea of what's coming out for the day. One pager, you want to get good information, quick about markets, what to look for, bam, sign right up. Absolutely. Good information, timely each and every day. Um, gives you some insights as far as what we're thinking as well, besides just the show. A little bit more probably technical data um, and, of course, charts. Yeah, some charts. But a lot of language, but uh, again, less yeah. Don Rickles jokes, uh, more data. Less Rickles, <laughs> more data. 
uh, when it comes to the daily commentary. So it's really good. Um, so new retiree, Danny, interesting. So slashing these fixed expenses because what this gentleman helped me realize was, heck, if I cut my fixed expenses, I have more money for fun. When we're usually cutting fun stuff in retirement, and he cut his fixed expenses by 30%. Now, he did this by relocating to a manufactured home community in Florida Keys. Um, communal, communal breakfasts, neighborhood gardens, dinner gatherings. And he purchased the house, a home, for $90,000. And I know there's an overall negative image of trailer parks. However, I'm telling you, you got to think outside the box and keep an open mind. And when I saw the pictures of this place, and the whole community, and this, it's and and you know what his view is every day. Um, it works for him, but I don't know why it wouldn't work for everybody. So sometimes you got to pull the stereotypes away and really keep an open mind when it looks to be cutting fixed expenses. He right away increased his quality of life and cut his fixed expenses, and probably increased his mental health uh, dramatically. Right. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it's so interesting how those those things we talk about all these things that are tied together, the qualitative and quantitative. But when you can, you know, have that financial freedom and the security, mm -hmm. I mean, think about what that does for you from a mental perspective. I mean, that's huge to know that you can go out and do all the things in spite of the markets, in spite of all these outside factors. I mean, it's tough to put a price tag on that. Listen, you cut your fixed expenses. It's an additional road trip. Maybe it's another trip to Disney with the grandkids. Um I work with a pre-retirement couple that they have this really great health, wealth, uh, health and wellness expense category. They're spending on massages, vitamins, gym memberships, and actually they they actually don't cut some of those discretionary expenses that ordinarily you would think to cut, like a gym membership. So you have a comprehensive financial plan. It outlines what your specific goals and the probabilities of meeting them, making the unknowable knowable right and it fosters spending confidence right so they if you look at people who complete plans danny right they feel comfortable understanding the bandwidth in their spending because they got a working knowledge of their tangible their needs their wants their wishes things that they have coming up and overall income and they they can they can shift easier and they don't maybe have to shift as much as somebody who over-exaggerates a shift because they don't have the numbers behind it. And that's when I think big mistakes are made. But you can have a financial plan and it stinks. And I'll tell you why it stinks. It stinks because if you take any kind of planning software out of the box, just like any software, and you're just adjusting it for whatever the models are saying in the box and not based on your own analysis, like we keep track of inflation rates, we keep track of correct inflation rate for each goal, especially now. And we look at healthcare trends. We do a lot of things. We look at project future returns of asset classes. We're not looking back. We're looking forward where valuations are, right? So planning of any kind, if it's just goal-specific, comprehensive, it's going to generate awareness. It's a financial health diagnostic. And that awareness boosts confidence, right? 
I asked how many how many clients do you have or people that sort of micro budget two years before they're going to retire? They're really putting a whole budget together. They know where every dollar is going. It's a, what we call a zero based budgeting philosophy. Every dollar has a job. Zero based budgeting has a miscellaneous category and those categories suck. No miscellaneous. Every dollar is accounted for. And I wrote an article about this, Five Ways to Increase Spending and Retirement in the blog, and I give you some budgeting templates that you can use. Um, you also got to remember some categories are going to really decrease in retirement. Listen, spending, I mean, saving is an expense, right? So if you were a big saver and you're putting 25, 40% of your money away in retirement, you know, to save for retirement, if you're really trying to play catch up, well, you don't really have to do that anymore. You know, it's almost like giving yourself uh, a raise overall. And um, so keep that in mind. So that's the other thing you have to keep in mind is that um, we also look at that saving of retirement is not an expense. And another thing is, okay, I have to manage my money wisely. Maybe I don't need as much on clothes. Maybe... I don't eat out anymore, uh, lunch-wise, right? So be sensitive to those retirement spending categories that you don't need. Then I understand, okay, now we're going to talk about rich, going to talk about spending and happiness. Well, you got to look at what makes you happy in retirement, right? I understand this is sort of an airy concept, um, but there are economists and behavioral psychologists that have spent their entire careers attempting to figure out what happiness is, right? Um, there, was, there was always these studies about, well, how much money do you need to make to be happy? Well, it was told to be $75,000 a year of household income. Well, is that, that's, that's a landmark study by Daniel Kahneman and Angus Deaton talking about, well, well-being, income of roughly $75,000. Well, again, it's captivating. I like to read that stuff. But I can show you where retirees are spending much less than 75000 especially millennials, Danny. When you look at the oldest millennial who has probably nothing saved for retirement. So you have 40-year-olds working out there with actually nothing. That, uh, they, better, they better really redefine what happiness is very quickly. <laughs> spending well, on that <laughs> – Right? That, that's exactly right. I think that there's so many people out there who've lived for the moment and, you know, the media and marketing and all the things that we've seen change have, you know, that the YOLO environment, you only live once mm -hmm. has really thrown, I think, a lot more people off track than we probably realize. And so, like you mentioned, a 40 year old with no savings. I think there's way more of those people out there than we know. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary thought to me to think of somebody who who hasn't put anything aside. We're going to rely on social security or whatever it is, which may look much different further down the road. I don't think it's going away. I just think it's going to look different, um, especially for somebody in their Might 30s for and 40s. A mental, for a millennial, right? Yeah. Where, oh, yeah where's the sure. full retirement age going to go? It's 67 right. and 70 for delayed retirement credit. You are going mm -hmm. to have to increase the full retirement. You're going to have to change the full retirement age. It's probably going to have to be 68. You're probably going to need to increase the delayed retirement credit to 72. But again, we're not working on Social Security, even though it's one of the most successful programs as far as keeping people out of poverty. And even, I will tell you, when it comes to Social Security and the studies we have, 
and how much time we spend studying the program and incorporating it into plan, you would not believe how important Social Security is when you have a variable asset portfolio. And that gets me to this. There's a recent study, really great one, how consumers, well, this is, well, this is a funny part of it. They're fine with the words guaranteed income, but not the word annuity. But they're the same for the most part. So, you know, we're in this whole world now, Danny, of this creative word salad. <laughs> like, you know, infrastructure is this or this is this. Um, and it's hitting also financial industry, right? You can't right. use annuity, but annuity is really lifetime income, right? Um, so you got to keep in mind a guaranteed income option, whether you're maximizing Social Security or you have a, a pension, which I'm very jealous um, or yeah, you, you get a product offered by an insurance carrier. This guaranteed income attached to your variable asset portfolio, like stocks and bonds, is going to be very important. Why? Because if I have lower returns, Danny, going forward, and I have a headwind to market returns, wouldn't it be nice to know that I've got, I maximize Social Security and I possibly have a guaranteed income on the top of that so I don't have to tap the portfolio when returns aren't there. So low future returns for savers are, are frustrating. They are frightening for savers. They are frightening to retirees, right? So you've got to keep in mind that you're in a distribution. You are Wilson. You investment tailwinds and volatility are not your friends. When we get back, we're going to talk about, well, how would I know if I need guaranteed income? in a portfolio ah good question and why annuity and guaranteed income are not why guaranteed income might look better for somebody as opposed to an annuity because annuities tend to get sold not planned when we get back we're going to discuss that here on the real investment show stay tuned for our last segment Now, let me tell you about Grandma Rosso and Guaranteed Income. So Grandma and Grandpa Rosso were janitors in junior high school, right? And Grandma and Grandma, Grandpa and Grandma Rosso were able to own a house in Brooklyn and have a new car, being janitors. We have come a long way. <laughs> And I tell Grandma, I want to be a janitor when I grow up. Uh, no, no, you're going to college, right? Depression era. So Grandma, Grandpa, love guaranteed income. Now, if I want to look at a distribution portfolio in the face of anemic returns, I don't have the tailwind of greater returns. Psychologically, what am I going to think, Danny? I'm going to exhaust my nest egg faster than I should. And so you write, it's like, okay, I'm going to run with this 100-pound weight on my back. Your portfolio's got this huge weight on its back providing a portfolio withdrawal. What if I can cut it by 50%? What if I can let Social Security and or guaranteed income product do that for me? Meanwhile, leaving my runner less exhausted. What do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think that the reliance on on fixed income 
used to be huge and such a game changer in a sense that you didn't have to rely on that that variable asset or the portfolio as much. And let's face it, I mean, if we look across the the, the United States right now, a big portion of the population already already relies on some guaranteed income in the form of Social Security to make right. more than half of their retirement or expenses. Yep. So these numbers are already staggering. And like you mentioned last segment, I think that there is a big um, – you know, there's kind of the scarlet letter over the the A word, right? Annuities. And essentially, that's what all these these types of investments are. Um, and the reason is because, like you were alluding to, many times they're, they're sold, not planned. Mm-hmm. I think this becomes a, a bigger issue. And so when we have these guaranteed incomes coming in, that income stream helps alleviate that burden where you're not running with that 100-pound weight on your back. And it makes the volatility of the markets that less in con- or that more inconsequential in the sense of your overall grand scheme when they are planned and you understand where your income comes from and you can work within that budget. I mean, let's face it, Rich, you're talking about the people who are, who are getting down and they're, they're really budgeting, they're getting into it, but there's a lot of people out there who will not and don't want to do a financial plan because they don't want somebody that what they think an advisor is going to tell them is that, you spend too much or you need to spend here or you can't spend that. And, you know, I tell everybody, look, our jobs is we're, we're a consultant and we're designed to help you. you. You say you want to meet these goals. Well, guess what? Here's how we're going to get there. Yep. And it may be things you don't want to hear. And you know what? That may not be a bad thing either. No, and it could include the guaranteed income. So it makes sense. So this study by David Blanchett and Michael Fink, two um, – two financial professionals I really do respect, they, they did a study, guaranteed income, a license to spend. So retirees are behaviorally resistant to spending down savings, but when they have a guaranteed income, it gives them psychological breathing room to spend. In other words, if I, and, and think about this from the study, it says annuities can both reduce the risk of an unknown lifespan as well as allow retirees to spend their savings without the discomfort generating by seeing one's nest egg get smaller. In other words, if I'm getting a check in the mail, right, then, you know, do I even need a budget? Let's, let's play devil's advocate. I mean, if all my income, and I'm not suggesting this for anybody, but if all my income is guaranteed income, I get $30,000 a month, just making a number up. Well, okay. Well, I know I'm going to get that $3,000 a month next month and the month after. So it's not like I have to worry about spending down anything. I mean, my psychological barrier, my fence between Wilson and Tim Allen are, is gone because I don't care. I, I, I know I'm going to get another check next month. So that, that, that makes sense. But again, these annuities get a bad rap. I don't understand. Like I purchased this airplane. Because annuities are complicated, and I'm never taught how to operate the cockpit. I sit there, I stare at the dials and the switches, and I regret the decision. And I wonder, well, why the heck do I own this plane? That is why well, the injustice comes in with annuities, how they're just sold. Not everybody needs an annuity. Most people have Social Security. That's their annuity. But if I do a comprehensive plan, I can flush this out and say, okay, you're gonna, your portfolio is going to expire before you are or say your spouse is. So guess what I need to do? I need to mitigate that risk. I need to provide that money to an insurance company. But here's how much. 
Here's the investment product. Here's how it works. As opposed to, well, yeah, well, you know, you should put everything into an annuity with all these bells and whistles, and I'll see you later. I got to go sell another one. It makes absolutely no sense. I had someone the other day ask me, I think I need an annuity. And I'm like, well, how do you know? Well, my insurance guy said, you know, I'm like, well, how do you know? You absolutely have no clue. Do you know Social Security is an annuity? It is? Yeah. Barry, it's an injustice to me. I I agree, Richard. It would be like selling every other mode of transportation and living in New York City or somewhere and saying, you're going to get this great airplane. And nobody, like you said, nobody tells you how to get behind the cockpit. Nobody tells you how to operate it, Mm -hmm. how it's going to get you to the next point. They tell you initially, but how many times have you visited with somebody and they pay for all these benefits, these bells and whistles, and then it's too late to actually turn them on to make any sense. Well, you've had that happen how many times? Where you've had people that had like a guaranteed income trigger, you know, the insurance person is long gone, and they didn't even realize that they're missing a big benefit and they've missed the boat. Or the insurance person was there. I mean, I've gone through some analysis for some clients Uh whose family members, you know, looking at old school variable annuities, which, you know, those have, you know, I think a lot of people have kind of shied away from some, but there's still some really good ones out there. But some of them were very, very expensive. And, you know, I'm looking at 4 or 5% in expenses each year for somebody who's 90 years old. They paid for these bells and whistles and right. the income riders, and they were never turned on, and now it makes no sense. Exactly. So keep in mind, guaranteed income makes the unknowable knowable. I don't need to know how long I'm going to live. I don't know if a bear market's going to wipe me out. I don't care. I've got this income. I've got this comfort of knowing this check is coming in. So keep that in mind. That's one way you could increase spending in retirement if you need to. And to go over that psychological barrier is making the most out of whatever guaranteed income you have, which is most likely Social Security, and or adding a product that complements your plan. Right. Also, working longer. I know working longer can add to your portfolio, but working longer for older cohorts has been on a dramatic rise since 2000, especially women. One in three people age 65 to 69 is working. And one in five age 70 to 74 is working. Most of them women. Because women have longevity risk. Right? But when we go to our retirement, right, Lane Danny, we bring this up. People don't realize as something as easy as working three to six months longer, just it, three to six months, boosts retirement income by as much as increasing retirement contribution percentages by one percentage point over 30 years of employment. And that's from a study um, working longer can sharply raise retirement income. And what that means in layman terms overall is if I work just a little bit longer, it's exponentially more successful to my plan, right? How many times have you said, listen, if you just work a couple of more years, even if it's not this job you hate, if this is another job, if you work a part-time job, I just did a plan for somebody that is going to work a part-time job. I can't remember how much she was going to make, but it was like twenty-five dollars to $28,000. That two more years actually made, tilted her plan to be more successful and she's doing something she likes because she's 
postponing some of the income that she needs to take from her portfolio overall, right? And, and working longer, you know, she said to me, she goes, you know, I just feel like it'll keep me young. Um, I, I'm more social. Um, so that, and also prevents you from claiming Social Security old, uh, before you need to. You can wait to take Social Security, right? So a lot of benefits to working longer. There's a vibrancy to working in retirement. If it's something you want to do, if it's something you want to do, how many times have I said on this show, I want to work at Bucky's. I don't want to serve Lance, though, because he'll heckle me at the fudge counter. But I would think that's the funnest. I love like working with people. I think that would be the greatest job in the world. I would love to do that. I'd work at Bucky's. I'd work at a ham radio store. Um, I still know my Morse code. So I think that um, you can do other things as opposed to – I don't think I could be that kind of person, Danny. I don't know about you. That could just sit home. No, I could not I, do it. It'd drive me crazy. And your wife would kill you. So, but, um, but what I'm saying is you to feel so, you know, even during the pandemic, you know, it was interesting, even though we were very busy and working, I felt that like just staying in the house like that, I was feeling sort of fudgy in my brain. I'm like, I got to get out of here. You can understand why people disconnect. Yeah. It's not psychologically healthy to do it. If you want, you can catch the uh, article at realinvestmentadvice.com. And we do hope we can see you tomorrow at the Right Lane class. We would love to have you um, there in the woodlands and in Austin coming in October, which we'll talk about. We didn't get to Medicare open enrollment. We still got time. We will do that next week. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great weekend. Hope to see you tomorrow. Money, money, money. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.